I'm Dr. Amanda Kellogg, Assistant Professor of English at Radford University, and this is the Radford Writer's Desk, a podcast featuring Radford faculty and graduate students reading from their creative works. Hello, this is Sean Keck, Assistant Professor in the English Department here at Radford University. I teach American literature and creative writing. I'm going to be reading the opening section from a story called Rules for Entering Unsecured Spaces. It appeared in the fall 2017 issue of Blue Earth Review, and it's about a character um, about as different from my own experience as I think I could possibly get, but I had a lot of fun playing with uh, what would this character's world be like, how do I bring depth to something that's really outside my wheelhouse. Rules for Entering Unsecured Spaces I am Ilie Popescu, the third-in-line curator for the museum's Northern Renaissance collection. This means that if the curator were to die of natural causes, the associate curator to fall terminally ill, and the assistant curator to disappear while on vacation in the Crimea, I would be called upon to guard the East Wing until suitable replacements could be found. This also means that I have plenty of time to imagine ways I might acquire such power, a carpooling accident, a new plague to which I am the only known case of immunity. I do a great deal of reading in the lower level record room where I spend most of my time. Ilie Popescu, the associate curator, is always saying, you are most useful when not seen. The assistant curator, forever at his side, concurs. Apparently, none of the museum visitors wants to contemplate the perfection of Van Eyck in the company of a three-foot-tall amputee. Public popularity is largely coincidental. I think that had I fallen in love with Velazquez instead of Vermeer, I would this very instant be on display with the Spaniards' many paintings of dwarves. I lost my left arm. Almost everyone who happens to see me is too bashful to ask, but wants to know, on booby trap duty for Romanian special ops. Whenever I am told to go to the record room, I am hot under the collar, but the truth is it suits me well. Lined in slate and lit by simple bulbs rather than chandeliers, it is the one place in the museum that has escaped the grandiose renovations of the last two decades. Everything else has been rebuilt to impress. The artwork hangs sometimes as high as 10 or 15 feet from the floor, so that even tall guests must tilt their heads far backward to view it, a trick that can only be done for a minute or two before the loss of blood from the brain causes dizziness. Such placement, it has occurred to me, may be intended to create this effect. Because much of our collection comes from apses and altarpieces, my superiors feel that we too are in the business of the revelatory experience. Beneath the adoring feet of our guests, I sit among filing cabinets that house the notes, certificates of purchase, and other paraphernalia that have accumulated around our works over the course of centuries. About half the time, I hunch over tracks from these files, translating and logging such non-essential but interesting sidebar information as the romantic account of one of the Dukes of Burgundy smuggled into the commission for this or that painting. The other half the time, I do with what I please, the ceiling in the record room is only six feet high, so almost no one beside myself ever goes there. Until recently, what I pleased was to write and recite my poetry. I strive to strike my listeners quickly with lines like bursting flashbulbs, leaving them a bit mystified, but I hope also a bit changed. You cling like papaya beneath my fingernails, reads one. I've never felt papaya in my nails. I've never actually had papaya at all but I live my life among works by artists who seldom experienced their subjects. 
the attempt to conjure the residue of fruit seems modest in comparison to the attempt to evoke Christ. I have had exactly one listener, critic, and fan for the last 10 years. Eugen, our Wings afternoon security guard, looks like Alfred Hitchcock. He makes a point of stationing himself directly above a floor vent for most of his shift so he can hear me. We have worked out a system of foot taps and shuffles he can use to let me know what he thinks. One tap means good, two means excellent, three means for God's sake don't stop. This is your masterpiece. On the other hand, if he scrapes his foot once, it means reconsider that. If he scrapes it back and forth, it means set aside and come back to it later. If he scrapes back and forth repeatedly, it means burn immediately. Eugen was out sick yesterday. That's why it happened. I think for me, uh, most stories start with either a, a really precise image or a strong sense of voice. Um, I think most of us throughout our, our day, you know, get told weird things by our brain, but we tend to set them aside and not listen to them. So I try as much as possible to, to note whenever something really grabs me or, or strikes me. Uh, and so for the sake of this particular story, what I first got was a sense of this voice that just grabbed me kind of out of the middle of nowhere, right? And it, and it gave me its name and it you know, gave me its sense of its profession. And then I went back over the course of a couple of years and, and tried to fill out, well, who would have this kind of voice and how do you get um, to the kind of perspective that had initially entranced me, right? And how did that even get in my brain? Thank you for listening to the Radford Writer's Desk. For more information about our programs, our faculty, and our many opportunities for students interested in creative writing and graduate scholarship, please visit our website, www.radford.edu English.